the big misconception out there, the biggest one is that domestic abuse is physical abuse. I, I think that one of the reasons I never considered myself a victim of domestic abuse is I associated domestic abuse with a woman with a black eye. And I had never had a black eye. I want to be Liz Sumner, and this is I Always Wanted To, the podcast where I interview people who are doing things that others long to do. What have you always wanted to try? Hi, everyone. I've heard from some of you that you listen to I Always Wanted To for the uplifting and positive stories that my guests often tell. Well, today's topic is a lot more serious than my usual subjects. But while we get into some very dark territory, Patricia's story shines light on behavior that's often not talked about and is especially inspiring because of how she turned her harrowing experience into a way of helping others. In preparing for this episode, one article I read says that one in every four women and girls worldwide has experienced domestic abuse. I'm fortunate that I'm not one of them, though I will say that after listening to Patricia, there's a lot of what she describes that's frighteningly familiar. I have certainly struggled with low self-esteem, and because of that, I've tolerated the intolerable, but not for 29 years. I wanted to understand what makes a person remain in a relationship when she's being mistreated. To make sense of the statement, he wouldn't let me. Patricia's deeply vulnerable and open account helped me comprehend the mechanisms that led her to enter and stay in an abusive relationship for many years, and how she was finally able to free herself and turn her life around. I chose not to include all of the examples she shared. There were a lot, and it was pretty awful. I left in enough so that people can recognize a variety of behaviors that are not acceptable, and also resources that will help you take next steps if you're a victim or a friend. I'm deeply grateful to Patricia McLean for talking with me, and for all of the people doing work to help victims of domestic violence and in particular to Susan Skrupski of Glorious Alone Productions, who made the introduction. Here's the interview. My guest today is Patricia McLean. She's a women's rights activist, a photographer, and founder of FindingOurVoices.net, a survivor-powered nonprofit organization breaking the silence of domestic abuse. Welcome, Patricia. Thank you. It's really nice to be here with you. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this conversation with me. I I really think it's important, and I wanted to find the right person to have the conversation of, I've always wanted to leave an abusive relationship, and you were recommended, and tell me why you agreed to, to do this conversation with me. Well, right away when I saw the podcast and listened to some of the episodes, I was very honored to be asked to be on on this, so thank you. The theme really resonates with me, what I've always wanted to do. Mm -hmm. The answer of I've always wanted to leave an abusive relationship, that wouldn't have applied to me because I was in an abusive relationship for 29 years. 
and I did not consider it abuse. I mean, I knew what was happening was wrong, but I didn't consider myself a victim of domestic abuse. And I wouldn't say I always wanted to leave either. I was actually more afraid of him leaving me. That was my fear because I was so dependent on him. And that's, I've since starting Finding Our Voices and talking with, with women and understanding what I went through, I really understand that. What, you know, they're all about getting and maintaining control. And one of the things they do is they tear you down. They put you down. They, they make you feel like you can't make it without them. And that's how I did feel. So that's why the topic, what have you always wanted to do? I had so many yearnings in those 29 years that were not fulfilled. I couldn't do them because I was being controlled. I am fortunate enough that I have not been in in abusive relationships, and I don't understand what what it feels like to be so controlled that you that you can't do what you want to do. So, so to be trapped, and that that's probably might, might be hard for someone to understand. But what happens is, it's sort of a a gradual, in a way, a gradual process. Well, it starts off. This is what happened to me, but I've heard this echoed over and over again. They sweep you off your feet. So mm. I was absolutely swept off my feet. He was a famous singer coming through town. I interviewed him. He told me he loved me the first night, um, bombarded me with with gifts and just was so romantic. And it was exciting to be with him. And And then they move very fast. That's another thing that happens. And it did, as I said, told me he loved me the first night, asked me to move back east with him. And then because we were so in love, he wanted me to live with him, but I was out West as a newspaper reporter. He was out, he was living in, uh, back East. So I quit my job. I quit my career. I sold my car. I gave up my apartment. And that when I was dependent on him, that's when I saw his temper for the first time. So this all led up to it. It's not like I, when I first met him, he was a Prince Charming, that he was incredible. I felt so lucky to be, to, to have him love me. And then I was trapped. And that's what I hear from other women. There's always something that traps them really. Like sometimes they, when they get pregnant, that's when it is. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes when it's get married, like the, the minute they get married, you know, things change. And for me, it was the day that I just gave up everything to move back east with him. And, and then he, he, he lost his temper. I, I couldn't believe it. I'd never seen anything like it. But I, I, was, I really was trapped and I was kind of blocking it out. I was like making excuses for it. So that's one thing. And then what happens is you have a memory of how incredible it was because it's always, mm. I don't know if, I mean, maybe I'm sure there's relationships that are incredible and they stay incredible. But it's almost like it's, I would, th I would think this is more incredible than any, in most relationships. So you're always wanting it to go back to that. And then it's a cycle. So they start snap, he started snapping at me. And then I was, you know, really knowing something was going to happen. And then and then it, it did, like he would blow up and it would just be a rampage for like days. And then you just wanted it to be over. And then when it's finally over, you're just super careful not to spark it again. Mm -hmm. And so this is called walking on eggshells, which I did literally for 29 years. Like every, even when we were having good times, I was always conscious that it could change. I was worried that it could change. 
always trying to keep the peace. So I'll give you a perfect example to set up to being stymied and, you know, yearnings and not being able to being controlled. So mm -hmm. my family lived in Montreal and I'm from, I was living in San Francisco when I met him. So move back East closer to my family. Great. I'll get to see them more. Another thing about these abusers is they isolate you. So at first it's because they love you so much and they want you all to themselves. And that's kind of flattering because they love you so much. So that's how you see it, but it's just isolating you. And they don't, they don't like your family. They don't like your friends. And so even the idea of seeing my mother, I would bring it up and it would, he would explode. He would get so angry with just the question that I would just put off asking it. Like that to me was normal, but to you, obviously it wouldn't be normal to have to ask your partner if you can go and visit your mother. But I would, you know, bring it up. I'd be really worried about how to approach it, wait for him to be in a good mood. How am I going to ask knowing he's going to blow up and then deciding, well, maybe it's not, maybe it's not that important that I see her because it's just not worth the trouble that this is going to cause. And then finally, when so much time has gone by and I have to visit her, I'll just like, have to say it and put up with the consequences, which will be, you know, weeks of him being furious. So that's a simple thing, not being able to see my mother, but that's, that was every way it was, that's how, that's how I ended up being controlled. You said earlier that you weren't aware that you were in an abusive relationship. It never occurred to you to, to always want to leave. How is it that you're not seeing that? What, what happens to a person inside that they don't see what's going on. So one of the things that Fine Our Voices does is we have this outreach and it's all survivors based. So we have um, faces and names of survivors in Maine uh, on these bookmarks. So there's 35 of all these women aged 18 to 81. Their portrait, I'm a photographer, I take the portrait and then it has a quote. And then on the back of the bookmarks is something called the power and control wheel. And this is something that you usually see I, have you ever seen the power and control wheel? I have not. Uh, the Duluth in Minnesota, they, they, they created this in the 1980s. And it shows all the tactics that someone will use to get and maintain control over their partner. So usually, you know, if you're, if you recognize that you're a victim of domestic abuse, you might call your domestic abuse advocate. And then you'll go inside and talk with someone. They'll close the door. They'll show you this wheel. You'll talk about it. And that's why most people don't know about it. You only know about it you know, if you reach out for, for the, for the help. So we're trying to change that and we're trying to get this. So everyone understands it so that they can mm -hmm. know what to look for. Which, so mm -hmm. as for me, like if I had known isolation, you know, walking on eggshells, uh, controlling that that was abuse. If I had known that maybe I would have put it together quicker. And so that's how you can help understand what is really going on here because it is a pattern. So when you ask, how I didn't see it. That's, that's some of it. Can we put the, the power and control wheel in the show notes? Yeah. Not only that, but on findingourvoices.net, we have the power and control wheels customized from pretty much every woman, all, all 35 women. And you could scroll down and look at them all. Absolutely. The, the power and control, wheel, everyone needs to, to, needs to see that and know it. Yeah, I get it. It doesn't seem like there's something wrong until you read this and say, oh, not everybody ha has to walk on eggshells. Well, yes, like, 
like there was a woman that came over to my house and I had known her for like 30 years and I just hadn't seen her for a while. And we sat on the deck and I asked her how her boyfriend was. They'd been together for, for a long time. And by her reaction, I could tell something was wrong. And I just said, is he abusive? And then she said, well, you know, she tried to tell me about how he was controlling. Like she even visiting me, like he was timing her and she had to get back. She wasn't allowed really to visit people. And I just went into my living room. I pulled out one of these things. I gave it to her. And as we sat on the, on the porch, she was just like stunned. She was just like underlining, like everything, putting her down, making her feel bad about herself, calling her names, making her think she's crazy, controlling what she does, who she sees and talks to, limiting her outside involvement, making light of the abuse. I mean, you just go all around it. And it, 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 a spark like lit, lit, lit up in her head. And whereas before when she was sitting down with me, she was like, well, I'll, ne I'll never leave him because you just never imagine that you will. And then by the end of it, she was thinking, you know, she was starting to think and starting to put it together. So that's what this does. Uh, okay. So confusion and being controlled and, and having the outside influences limited so that you don't have connection with, with people who will show you how strange this is. Right. What else makes it difficult for somebody to leave, particularly when you have been beaten. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to say when you said that thing about not having, that's exactly what it is with the isolation is there's nobody to just point out to you. This is, this is not right. Like I remember when I left, I remember my friend Marcy, I was talking to her and I was like, you mean like she's been married. She's married to this guy, Alan. They have a great, you know, they've been married one long time. It's like, you mean he's never like grabbed your wrist? He's never like shoved you? Like, I couldn't even believe it. Like, to me, it was so normal. Like, and when she was looking at me, she's like, no. And, and I, I just, I just, it just, it just is so normalized. Well, of course, as I mentioned, that they put you down. So I was, I was living in his world. So my world, which when I met him was big, I, I was a, an award winning newspaper reporter in California. I, I was passionate about writing and uh, starting to be very interested in photography, but that was all like not important. So everything was about him. And the, our only conversation was always about him. Why? Well, when I start talking about myself, like he tunes out and he's not interested. When I start talking about him, he's, his eyes light up and he is interested. And so because I'm always trying to keep the peace and keep him happy, and that's my total focus, obviously that's what we're going to be talking about. And that's what's going to be going to be our life. So Part of that is that you're you're filled up with his life, and and I felt like I was afraid. I was so afraid that he would leave me because I I was really a shell of myself. I, I was I didn't have I didn't feel that I had anything going for myself, and it was I was so filled up with him. Like, what would I do if he wasn't there? Like, it would be amputating like a big part of me. And then they they put you down like right in the very beginning. He would be saying calling me stupid dummy idiot like in the beginning but that was you know I was considered kind of like I don't know I didn't really take it seriously I thought I probably didn't they didn't like it because he kept doing it but it, it just seemed almost like an endearment after a while but then it starts with that and then it's like how stupid you are and then it's so then lack of self-confidence thinking I can't be on my own and then the interesting thing is he reframed everything and even my daughter told me that when she found out, like when I talked to her later after I left and mentioned that I had been an award-winning reporter when I met him, she was like, oh my goodness, like he had, he had said the narrative was that I was like a Cinderella that, you know, he had picked up and that 
he had elevated and, and had, had nothing going for me, then bringing us to financial abuse, Tell me. which is huge. Every, virtually every case of domestic abuse has financial abuse. There's some women who, who make the money and yet the man is the one who controls it. Like she doesn't have it because she makes it, but it's given all over to him. And again, all keeping the peace, you know, and in my case, uh, I had signed a prenuptial agreement. I signed a document when I met him that basically said that when we divorced, I, I would have nothing. So I would get nothing in the divorce. And toward the end of our marriage, we had four homes and he had like four cars, but everything was in his name. I had no, I had zero credit. So if I was going to leave him, I would have nothing. And this is, we had a beautiful home and the home meant a lot to me. It was my refuge. Mm -hmm. I made beautiful rose gardens there. Mm -hmm. And just the idea that I would be cast out and what was I going to do at that point? You know, moving into an apartment somewhere, that was really hard. Mm -hmm. So that, that was part of it, you know? Yeah. They control, they control the money. So, so that's, that's a big part also why it's, why it's hard to leave. We'll have more with Patricia McLean and how she managed to leave and turn her life around after the break. So how did you, what was the process for you finally extricating yourself from this? Well, the process was that he was uh, arrested for domestic violence. I, I called 911 at the second that I thought he was going to kill me. I had called 911 on the same, because of the same thing like in 1994. But back then I begged them not to arrest him, said that everything was okay, that, you know, we'd both been drinking and just the same way you, I look in court reports now and I, I sort of see what happens with domestic abuse. And this is standard, you know, the woman often will, will, will cover up and, 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 and try to protect him. So I, I was doing the same thing, but in 1994, the police listened to me and they did not arrest him. And since then there has been a change in the law where it's called mandatory arrest. So, if there's if they see signs of domestic violence that they have to make an arrest and that's what they did they arrested him he had bail conditions of no contact he was still getting through to me you know with phone calls to my sister and all kinds of you know, so much manipulation to try to pull me back but it really allowed me to to just have him out of my head for the first time in 29 years and now that everybody knew People were telling me things, you know, that they never liked him, that, they, that you know, he was so arrogant and, and that they had noticed how he treated me. And no one had ever said that while we were married. Like they had said, we heard him screaming at you. We saw, we saw, you know, one woman said, yeah, we saw you in the airport and he was banging on the door when you were in the bathroom. Like I couldn't even go to the bathroom, you know, and, and he was like, get out. Like he was, it was just crazy, but it did seep over into public life, but no one had ever said anything in the marriage. Now they did. And that's what, that's what really got me out. And, and the fact that he was just so cruel, like when, during the bail conditions, I, he was in the home because I had escaped because I was, I was fled because I was terrified that he was going to come after me and kill me. So I needed, I wanted to, had to get back into the house and get my, some things of mine. And he made it so difficult through lawyers for me to do that. Like things like that, where he would be on one hand, sending these love missives, love bombing, like, come back. I can't live without you. But the other hand, like not letting me get back to my, get my things out of the house. And it just, finally, I just realized. And then talking to a domestic abuse agency, I called them, I talked with them. It just all came together. I started to understand more and more. And that's what got me out. 
you mentioned that that people said afterwards, uh, oh, I, I always hated him because he, he didn't treat you right. What would you want your friends to have done? What advice can we give to to friends who who see their their women friends get abused? What is useful to say? I would say call out bad behavior. You know, if you're if you're out to dinner with friends, if you're out to dinner with a couple and the guy or it could be the girl, you know, it goes both ways. I've seen women harangue mm. men, mm-hmm. you know, like abuse them and the man just sitting there mortified. If, if he's putting her down, if he's doing, if he's talking to her in a way that she shouldn't be talked to, call it out. Like, hey, you know, that's not, that's not very nice. Like you shouldn't be doing that. If you, you know, it doesn't even, it doesn't need to be physical. You know, obviously if he's pushing her or, you know, grabbing her or something, her wrist, you call it out. But even a, a emotional crap like that, like you need to call it out. And also the other thing you could do if a friend is going through something and if they tell you something that's not right in the relationship to just not judge, because what happens sometimes is the reason that I would never have told anybody what was going on is I guess I was afraid that if I told them and then obviously I'm still with this guy, they're going to be judging me or pressuring me. Like, why are you still with him? And I wasn't ready to leave. And so it would have just been embarrassing. And so everyone has to realize that this is very difficult. Like the woman knows sometimes that, you know, it's not healthy for her to be there, but there's lots of reasons why she's trapped fear. Okay. One of the things is it's actually a lot of times does get worse when you leave. It did for me, it got worse. And my daughter says the same thing that when I, I did leave him, it got worse for her too what was really scary was that, well, the other thing is when we were together, I, I I still felt like we were a team in some weird way. Like it was me and him, me and him, me and him and making all these excuses for his behavior. But I saw how he treated other people. He was vicious. Like he was sadistic in how he treated, you know, supposed adversaries. And so I was always afraid of being an adversary to that degree. And that's, that's what happened after I left him he put, he had five or six lawyers on me. He was putting out messages to the press, you know, and they were picking it up, you know, calling me crazy. I I never knew what was happening there. So it was emotional. Then hammering me like financially, like literally I had this little bit of money that I had saved and it was just all going for for lawyers just to answer all these ridiculous court motions. And, and I didn't know what I was going to do there. And, and it was just, I just remember that I, I was drowning and he was trying, it didn't, it didn't seem to be affecting him. Like he was still getting bookings, even with the arrest. So, and guilty pleas so public, but I was felt like I really was drowning. I just didn't know what to do. And um, it was just one thing after the other. And it was just really like the, the, the lowest, lowest point. And, and then my daughter said that, you know, there'd always been, I'd always been a buffer between her and him. And so then when I left, I wasn't the buffer. And so all of his antagonism and attacks, you know, were on her because he couldn't physically get to me anymore. So for her, it was harder too. And, and then with my kids, the whole, I don't know, it was just, the whole thing was just a total nightmare. So it got worse until it got better, which is now, which is, you know, I'm, it's fabulous now. So how did you finally get free and to a state where you were no longer living in fear of your life and that you could start appreciating 
who you were? I guess what happened is I just started started talking about it. You know, really that that's what that's what the key was for me. The key was breaking the silence. When the newspaper headlines about the arrest came out, it was the worst thing that could have happened. It was mortifying. I, you know, but it turned out to be the best thing, really, because it was all out there. It wasn't a secret anymore. And I started talking about it with other women. They started talking about it with, with me. And we launched Finding Our Voices, which is a nonprofit. And it's just really gained steam. It's it's resonating with a lot of people because no one really does talk about it. So that's what that's what really did it for me. That That's what got me out. And also, I just, you know, I, I lived in fear for 29 years. I just refuse to be ruled by fear anymore. And everything I'm saying about what happened to me is the truth. I was worried about litigation. He's very litigious. But he, you know, it's been five years. He's never sued me for, you know, saying anything because it is the truth. And truth is the best defense. I just think everything needs to be out there. We're talking for women, you know, who can't, who can't or don't want to. Not everyone, not every woman wants to talk about it. Not every woman feels they can. And that's okay. You know, we're 40, you know, up to close to 40 women now and talking about our experiences. And because there's of that number, there's going to be things that other people relate to. It resonates with them. They can find a few of the women that they really relate to their story. And that's what we're doing. That's wonderful. I'm, I'm really glad that you were able to turn a nightmare into something so powerful and useful. When you were entrapped in this relationship, you said that there were so many things that you yearned to do. Tell me what you yearned to do and what you have been able to do since getting yourself free. Yes, because when I heard the theme of your show, it wasn't I've always wanted to get out of domestic abuse because I never thought that I could get out of domestic abuse and didn't know it was domestic abuse. But there were so many things that I wasn't able to do that I, I knew I couldn't do because he controlled every aspect of my life. And one of the things, for instance, was I always wanted to go to Italy. Like I had always wanted to go before I met him, you know, I met him when I was 27. And that's one thing like Italy, because I love, you know, I love good food, you know, that was one of the reasons and it just seems so romantic. And he toured a lot in his career. So we would go to, we so we traveled because I mostly always went with him but it was places that were mostly you know english speaking places like he was popular in england australia so those are the places we went to so i went over and over and over again to england and australia but i wanted to go to italy and i couldn't go to italy because he wasn't performing there and the idea of traveling i couldn't travel myself he wouldn't let me he just wouldn't let me take a trip on my own so that was one of the things and then after uh when i was divorced immediately i went to havana like the, the, the one thing I did when I left him, like I left him and like th- that day I, I, I booked the trip because I'd always wanted to go to Cuba and I wanted to, to go to a place before it was Americanized. And, and then, mm-hmm. and then I, the whole world was open to me because all my dreams, like I could do anything I wanted. I did end up getting a settlement where I was able to travel. Uh, that was you know, no, no wish of his own, but uh, he was stymied in, in having me leave with absolutely nothing. So I had always wanted to scuba dive. Like I, not that I always wanted to, but I, I so admired people that scuba dives dove so much. I didn't ever thought I could, uh, but I got certified. I got certified in Cozumel and I went to Egypt twice and scuba dove in Egypt. Uh, and I, 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 I swam with mating octopi 
And yeah, it was incredible. There was such liberation. Like I truly was liberated and free to just have an idea and act on it. And that's the thing with finding our voices that I feel like I'm so much on fire because I'm just having all these ideas and I feel all my creativity that was staunched and stymied and all of my energy that was all focused on keeping the peace, make, keeping them happy. I have it for myself now. You know, on one hand, like these guys, they're robbers. They're, 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 there's domestic abuse is a crime, a violence is a crime, but there's more crimes than that than happen that are part of it, which is theft and robbery because they, they rob you of your life. They, they, they steal your life from you. They steal your, you know, what you're meant to be, what you're meant to, what you want to do. And they extinguish, you know, any light, you know, that they can. But I feel, so that is sad that there was 29 years of that, but uh, I'm really making up for it now because I, I'm just doing everything I want to do and doing it how I want to do it. And it's, and it's helping other women, which is a beautiful thing. It really is. Are there characteristics of women who have a more of a likelihood of being abused? Yeah, I would say it comes like either or, it seems to me, from my experience. It's women who, you know, had a really ha happy childhood. Their father was fabulous. And so they're completely caught off guard. Like they don't understand it. Like they've never seen anything like it. They've never heard about it. And that could be one way that you could be pulled in. And the other thing is if you've had a traumatic childhood, it feels comfortable to you. And that, that mm -hmm. is my case because my father and mother were violent. And I, I talked about this with my daughter where I remember I had a, I had like, you know, abusive high school boyfriend who abused the dog in front of me. That's the other thing, animal abuse and people abuse very closely aligned. A lot of women who've been through domestic abuse will say that they, their abusers also hurt their pets. They hurt the pets because it knows, because they love the pets and it knows that's how it'll hurt the woman more, but also because they're just vicious individuals. So with me, I remember I had one nice boyfriend, like I was 18 and he was really sweet. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I don't want to be happy. Like, this is too boring. Like, I was actively rejecting happiness. And that's, I realized only now, I just, it just put it together. Like, that wasn't comfortable for me. Like, I was more comfortable with what I had grown up with, the chaos, you know, and I don't know if you call it excitement. It wasn't excitement, but it was just like, you know, constantly yeah. like being triggered and, chaos. And so that's what I, I, I wanted. And that's what I felt I needed. And I, and, and so that's what I went for. So, so I do feel like that's another, that happens. If you have trauma in your childhood, you could be more prone, but I would say rather than say what's in the woman that leads her to be in relationships like this, I would, I think that really the answer is that these abusers target they target women that they feel will put put up with their crap mm -hmm. i've talked to maybe 75 women between the women who are our, our banners and bookmarks and these banners by the way are two foot by four foot posters with a woman's face name quote and these are on downtown business windows all over the state and then between that and the woman that i've talked with for my podcast and radio show survivors Every single one of them is a super nice woman, like super nice, super gentle, so kind. And that's what these guys target because 
we feel sorry for them. We make excuses for them. We're so, we have so much love in our hearts and, and we're, we're so full of love. And that's what I say the common denominator for, I have found is. You mentioned being swept off your feet. Are there any like warning signs or advice that you could be able to see what this person's tendencies might be like early on before you got involved? I would say like some things to look out for sweeping you off your feet. Yeah. Pay close attention to that. Moving quickly, like moving very quickly to seal the deal. Like I would absolutely say to any woman, take your time. Like there is no rush, you know, just go slow. The other thing, if they lie, like if you catch them in a lie, I really think that you should really be on, on guard. Oh, vilifying the ex. And here's advice mm. I would give to every woman. Contact the exes. Like that may seem disloyal when you're in the relationship, but I don't think you could better get an idea of who you're dealing with than doing that because these guys will vilify the exes, you know, and that's another way to feel make you feel sorry for them. For them. Mine would always say that her, she like undermined his career and ruined his career, all this crap. So they'll vilify the exes. The other thing is if, look at if look at their relationships like if they have no friends like that should be a red flag look at their relationships also how they feel about their mother like i think if you know if a man if they have a healthy relationship with the mother respects their mother loves the mother i think that would be really good so if they don't if they hate their mother that would be a red flag uh and then also if they start to isolate you like if they don't like your friends if they don't like your family that would be a red flag uh you know they're they're kind of all over the place So it's just, Mm -hmm. I think it's a matter of just keeping your eyes open. The problem is that love is blind. So that's why you want to have your eyes open and your ears open before, you know, you fall in love because then when you first meet the person, that's why take it slow, you know, really like pay attention. And the other thing is that someone said something to me once, which really resonates, which is when you're hungry for love, you'll, you'll eat lies. So don't be hungry for love, like build yourself up if you're not already confident so that you're happy with your life. You don't need someone to fulfill you and that you're, you know, you're, you're happy with yourself. And so then if someone comes along and you're like, mm, this doesn't feel good, you're, you're ready to just say goodbye because you don't need that person. The overriding thing is trust your gut because if it doesn't feel right, it's not right. So listen, listen to yourself. Very wise advice. For somebody who's saying, oh, my situation isn't that bad. It's not the way that I want it, but I mean, he doesn't hit me. Yeah, that that's another, or something. I mean, that's another, you're asking really, really good questions. If, you, if you'll notice on this power and control wheel, there's something that says mm-hmm. that right there, minimizing. There's a word that says minimizing uh, right there. So, okay. The problem is, is that they, the abusers minimize it to you, right? So when they're, when it's happening, it's always, oh, you're making, you know, you're a drama queen, you're, you're making it up, it's not that bad, you're lucky to have me, all this crap. Mm-hmm. So, the, so the woman will often minimize. And even if it's, there's degrees of abuse, obviously, right? Like, you know, there's, there's degrees from someone who's like, just put, maybe just puts you down a little bit, says something, just, you know, actually like killing you. So, but... Mm-hmm. In all of it, it's valid. Like if you're feeling a certain way, like those are valid feelings. And I would let women know it doesn't get better. It actually only gets worse. 
so min minimizing happens. The guy does it to the woman and you do it to your women, do it to themselves. They're in denial a lot of times, but I would, I would, I would advise anyone thinking that to just get hold of this power and control wheel, look on our website, findourvoices.net. look at all the wheels that the women have filled out. Just go around that circle and see if, see how many things that you can identify to, to understand, you know, what situation you're in. That's excellent. And I will put that in the show notes as well. So what resources would you direct people to? Well, the first thing I would suggest is visit our website, which is findingourvoices.net. And if you go on the homepage, it says sister of survivors, click here. You could see 36 women, their faces and a quote. And if you click onto their face, you can from most of them, you could hear their story. You could, you, there's an audio of them telling you what happened to them and plus documentation of what they went through. And I think that's a superb education about what happens and uh, just so that you just to know that you're not alone. And then beyond that, most places should have domestic abuse agencies where you can call with COVID now, sometimes you can't go in person, but you can call an advocate, uh, domestic abuse victim advocate, and talk to them about what you're feeling. And if you're afraid or feeling controlled, and they understand, you know, and believe you. Uh, and then I'll also just say something, you know, if you're if you're in a relationship, doesn't feel right, say something to someone, you know, someone that someone, a friend, a family member. And if you're on the other end of it and someone says something to you about it, you know, listen, don't judge, let the person know that you're there for them, that you're always there, you know, and check in on them and let them know that they're valuable and that you care. It's beautiful. So for domestic abuse, you would just Google something in your neighborhood. How are they listed? So violence against women, domestic abuse, okay. advocacy, uh, help for domestic abuse victims. I guess that's where you would start. And mm -hmm. there's there's bound to be one, hopefully in your mm -hmm. town, but not in your town and in your, in your region. Mm -hmm. and, and I did want to just say that the big misconception out there, the biggest one is that domestic abuse is physical abuse. I, I, I think that one of the reasons I never considered myself a victim of domestic abuse is I mm -hmm. associated domestic abuse with a woman with a black eye. And I had never had a black eye. I mean, I had bruises and, you know, but I'd never had a black eye. But emotional abuse, like uh, one of the things that if we can accomplish this so that women in Maine do not say when the, when the term domestic abuse comes up, well, he never hit me, but emotional abuse is devastating. Abuse is abuse. It doesn't need to be physical. And actually, emotional abuse causes physical distress because your body, you, you can't withstand, person can't withstand trauma, the constant trauma of, you know, being put down by someone who's saying they love them and being controlled and walking on eggshells and not have physical ramifications from that. Mm -hmm. So it, it is actually physical, even when, when it's emotional, because you're, you're going to be you know, stressed, and it's going to come out in other ways, but in impairing your your physical health. Wow, I I really am grateful for for all this information and for the work that you do. Is there anything that you'd like to say in conclusion? Uh, I would like to thank you very much for devoting this show to this issue. Uh, the key is talking about it and having conversations, and that's what we've done here. And I, I love the questions you asked and being so open. 
I'm really glad it never happened to you. And I'm glad that you're providing this platform so that other women can recognize, avoid, safely leave and heal, just like we're doing in Finding Our Voices at findingourvoices.net. Thank you. My thanks to Patricia McLean. You can find out more about findingourvoices.net and other resources to break the silence of domestic abuse in the show notes. I invite everyone to write and tell me what you've always wanted to try. If you got value from this podcast, please tell your friends, share it on social media, or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. I'm grateful to all of you who support the show at patreon.com slash alwayswanted. I'm Liz Sumner, reminding you to be bold, and thanks for listening.